0: Thank you for joining us with Ask a Historian. I'm Matthew Wilkinson, historian with Heritage Mississauga. Each week, send in your questions, and we'll explore the fascinating stories of the city of Mississauga together. Like, subscribe, and follow us and stay up to date on all the heritage happenings with Heritage Mississauga. For this week's episode of Ask a Historian, we've received uh, uh, three inquiries and we're going to explore them here on on this week's program to kind of highlight some fascinating uh, early stories in the city of Mississauga. Our first question comes from Blyden. He's asking about ship's fever. Um, ship's fever was a term uh, that is better, or was a, a disease better known as typhus. Uh, and it's one of the many diseases that impacted early travelers and residents. And it came about through cramped living quarters and poor sanitation and involved uh, the symptoms of it would be a severe headache, delusions, shivering and chills, a high fever, malaise, and a rash. And it often resulted in death. Uh, It was also referred to as jail fever and camp fever and were caused by bacterial infection, often spread by fleas. And uh, Blyden, your your question was specific to uh, Streetsville in 1848 uh, and whether it was an epidemic that impacted much of the community, and uh, I would have to say just from right, right from the start, uh, typhus or ship's fever was something that affected a great deal of immigrants during the uh, Irish potato famine years principally between about 1845 and 1849, 1850 um, that was ripe for the typhus spread a lot of the immigrants crossing over would get sick and contract the disease uh, during their passage uh, upon uh, landing in the New World here in Canada they'd uh, be quarantined at Seal. those that were non symptomatic symptomatic after a series of after some days would be allowed to continue on their journey the problem was that it was not well understood the incubation of the disease um and in some cases those that passed beyond the quarantine station at gross seal carried the disease with them into the hinterland and cities like ottawa and kingston and montreal toronto which all became destination points were also then affected by the arrival of the destitute irish the the ill irish and those carrying ship's fever or typhus in particular in 1847 and 1848 our areas Toronto and its surrounding areas including historic Mississauga were hit hard by typhus Right from the earliest days, we do know that European-Indigenous interactions and early settlement period, uh, in the, this time frame, epidemics were a, a part of life. Uh, we have records of smallpox, malaria, which was known by several names like swamp fever, AUG, and others, and cholera were ever-present fre- uh, threats, but so was uh, so was diphtheria and so was typhus epidemics of malaria came through the area between 1826 and 1830, a cholera pandemic swept through between 1826 and 37 and again from 1846 to 53 and again from 1865 to 68. diphtheria, smallpox, tuberculosis and polio all found their ways into historic mississauga over time. The influenza epidemic uh, or pandemic, uh, also known as the Spanish flu of 1918 and 1920, is still recalled. And there is no longer, although there's no longer living memory in our community for any of those time periods. Um, but typhus was also noted to have affected our community again, principally between 1847 and 1848. So fitting right into the time period of your narrative Um, Between 1845 and 51, it's estimated that 800,000 people died in Ireland, and 1 million uh, million people decided to leave Ireland. At the peak of the Exodus in 1847 and 48, 110,000 people voyaged to British North America, Canada, and on their way here they endured horrifying sea uh, sea conditions, Uh, many were affected with typhus. Arriving Canadian ports, they were met with public fear and quarantine. Typhus passed between passengers infected by lice and fleas, which thrived on dirty ships. After an incubation period of seven to ten days, as I mentioned, victims would experience fever, delirium, dysentery, headaches, and a rash. Um, over two weeks, eruptions would form on the skin and internal organs, and uh, death was often uh, the typhus was often fatal for 50 to 75 percent of its victims. Uh, again, there, we mentioned that the quarantine station in the St. Lawrence River at, Gr- at, at Uh and there are many uh, uh, Irish who did not pass beyond the borders of Grosse-Ele. Uh An Anglo uh, Irish social reformer, Stephen Devere, traveled to Canada in one of the ships so he could report back on the conditions to the colonial office. He reported the filth, the narrow sleeping spaces, the bad air, the awful food, the lack of water for washing. All gave rise to uh, ripe conditions for uh, for uh, illness. Um, uh, at places like Toronto, fever sheds were set up, uh, and uh, there's an Irish famine memorial in Toronto. Those that would uh, were deemed healthy enough to move beyond the fever sheds would find themselves into the hinterland. In some cases, they came to historic Mississauga. We have references to people settling in near the Malton area around what was Elm Bank, and also in Streetsville and the surrounding areas. There's a place known as the Irish uh, or the Catholic Swamp, which was predominantly an Irish settlement area around the intersection of uh, of Britannia Road and the Ninth Line area, officially known as Diamond, but the newspapers refer to it as the Catholic Swamp um but uh there's a note in the in the streets will review uh in uh, in 1847 though, uh that uh, uh those arriving uh in Toronto were crowded together like herrings in a barrel and many had difficulty in drawing a breath of fresh air so perhaps given those considerations of travel and the and the poor sanitation of the time uh it's no surprise that typhus uh um became a significant killer of, of those that emigrated to this country from Ireland. So that fits uh, Blyden right into your time period uh, of your family in 1848 uh, and being affected by ship's fever and ship, ship's fever again, uh, another name for typhus. Our second question this week comes from Anne on a Facebook post asking for information on the Infants Haven Hospital on Haig Boulevard in Lakeview. And this is a call out to anyone watching the show. If anybody has remembrances or stories around the Infants Haven Hospital on Haig Boulevard in Lakeview, We'd love to see them. We have pictures we would be most interested in. We have very little information to go on. Uh, a hat tip here to Nick Moreau uh, and uh, Kyle Neal from the Region of Peel Archives who've dug into this in the past and shared their information with us. We were able to find some uh, some uh, references to it in early newspapers. Um, it was a, uh, a, 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 child, a a caretaking child's home for disabled children. Uh, operated from the late 1940s into 1962 as an unlicensed facility. Uh, it was uh, did not uh, fare well in a public health inspection in 1962 and was ordered closed. By 1966, it was up and running again as a licensed facility. Uh, it seems to have closed around 1968 or 69. The home was run by a nurse, a Mary Alice Mann, and she was assisted by Ethel Burns and Ethel Shibley, according to the newspapers at the time. Um, And uh, over the course of its history, some 200 children passed uh, through its walls. Uh, there were sadly some uh, some losses of life on the property, but uh, it does. Uh, there there are things that percolate down through time of people who remember this property. The the buildings were demolished in 1970, and a house was built on its site in uh, in 1972. But uh, we're interested if anybody has stories or pictures around the former Infants Haven Hospital on Heg Boulevard in in Lakeview. Uh, we know precious little about it, and we would certainly love to learn more. So thank you and please contact Heritage Mississauga History at heritagemississauga.org if you have any information or images to uh, to share on the story of the Infants Haven uh, Hospital. Thank you. And our third question this week comes from Elaine, and it's asking about uh, the history of a house in Streetsville, 31 Thomas Street, which is a former residential house, now uh, a a commercial building uh, on Thomas Street, right near the railway tracks. And uh, it's always fascinating to look into the history of buildings and this one, although we don't have historic images of the building, we do know it is a historic house. Uh, Certainly it survives on the landscape today. The house was built about 1912, but we'll We'll wander down its story here. Um, and thank you, Elaine, for, for reaching out to us to ask about the story of the house. Uh, the property itself was part of lot one plan, uh, Streetsville 4, which is a subdivision plan that was registered on August 18th of 1856 by Adam Simpson. The property was first acquired by William Blaine in 1856, and in 1867 it was purchased by Agnes Blaine. We don't believe that there was a building on the property at this time, but rather that it was a lot that was being transferred. In 1884, Agnes, who had married Joseph Smith, sold the property to Andrew Blaine, her sibling. Uh, In 1912, the property was purchased by Joseph Fair, who sold it later in 1912 to Hugh Hugh Witte for a significant increase in price. We believe that this is the indication that the house was built by Joseph Fair around 1912. Hugh Whitty, who was the first, uh, was likely the first resident of the house, was struck and killed by a train in Streetsville on February fourth of 1918, at the age of 39. In 1920, the house, which was then about 18, was then about eight years old, was purchased by Frederick Switzer. He lived between 1881 and 1929, and he lived in the house with his wife Susan Rutledge, who lived between 1883 and 1962 their daughter was noted streetsville historian and librarian mary ethel nee switzer manning mary manning the founder of the streetsville historical society In 1972, the property was purchased by Marie and James Watkins, and in 1983, by Ellen and Roy Smith. And as I said, it has since transitioned from being a residential uh, building into a commercial building, but the house does remain on the landscape, or the building does remain on the landscape. But back to the builder of the house, and it's, it's a fascinating story around Joseph Fair. Joseph was a carpenter and contractor in Streetsville and is noted to have built several surviving heritage buildings in Streetsville, including this one. Uh, he served as a foreman for noted Streetsville builder, John Graydon. Joseph, in, uh, after John Graydon's retirement, Joseph did take over his uh, his building uh, and contracting business. Joseph also served as a volunteer fire chief for Streetsville from 1912 to 1914, the same time period in which the house at 31 Thomas Street was most likely built. Joseph Fair, who lived between 1860 and 1931, was born in Streetsville and married Sarah Kirby in 1887. They had one daughter, Edna, and the family attended Trinity Anglican Church in Streetsville. The Fair family is buried in Streetsville Public Cemetery. The house itself is a rare surviving example, at least in Mississauga, of Edwardian residential architecture. The believed 1912 date of construction is in keeping with its architectural style. One of the interesting things about Edwardian architecture is that it is in many ways a departure from the excesses of the Victorian era architecture that predated it. Um, many of the uh, the uh, Victorian houses are seen to be kind of heavy with ornate Victorian styles, lots of decorations and embellishments and verge board trim and, and the like where the Edwardian structure is much lighter, much more airy, and it took exa- it took uh, uh, one of the earliest residential houses to be built with electricity in mind. With the Edwardian era architecture, um, and uh, it, its architecture was seen as, as a lighter, less fussy, and less pompous in design than its predecessor in the Victorian era. And so, this is a, an example. There aren't a lot of Victorian era houses uh, that uh, that really connect to that architectural style left in Mississauga, um but it certainly is uh, uh is is a, a celebrated style of architecture and uh and uh does show a transition on the landscape between architect- architectural styles streetsville has a great collection of heritage buildings of a wide array of time periods its oldest building is from 1821 in streetsville and of course here we are with a building that is uh just uh you know over 100 years old itself um but uh Built in 1912, almost 100 years after the oldest surviving building in Streetsville, so the this building combined with others in the community really give you an array of time over which Streetsville thrived and grew and uh, and uh, left its uh, architectural remnants behind for us to to wander and ponder about as we uh, as we traverse the, uh, the Streetsville today. So that in brief, is the story as we know it for the uh, the, the former residential house uh, now commercial building at 31 Thomas Street built around 1912 and surviving today. Um, and we would uh, we would loosely call it uh, the uh, the uh, Switzer Manning house. So with that, thank you for joining us for another episode of Ask a Historian. Like, subscribe, and follow us and stay up to date on all the heritage happenings with Heritage, Mississauga. Thank you.